I fought a good fight. I finished my football race. And after 18 years, it's time. Basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble, but I'm glad, I'm glad we do a little bit more than that. Eventually, every ball would go flat, but that doesn't mean that your life will flatline. What will you do when the game is over? All right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of The Endless Hustle. I am your host and Bro Bible's Matt Cohan, and I am here, as always, with my main man in the pride of Philadelphia, Arthur Cade. Today, we're talking with one of the more personable athletes that we've had on this show. He's an NBA champion, and he is an esteemed Olympic bronze medalist. Now he's an ESPN analyst, and he's the host of the satirical publication, The Sports Gap. Today, we are joined by Richard Jefferson. What do you say, Arthur? Well, first of all, I always love your intro of me. I don't think I'm just the king of Philadelphia, though. I think I'm the king of the United States. No, just kidding. But Richard Jefferson, amazing dude, great work ethic. I think we have to give him a purple star, Matt. The guy did the interview in his car, I'm pretty sure at like a rest stop somewhere, with his kids' child seats in the back. So talk about multitasking, not just being an analyst or a former NBA player, but podcast interviewee at a rest stop. Go Richard Jefferson. Yeah, the thing about Richard Jefferson is that he started playing in, I think it was 2001, and this was before social media. So he's kind of that old guard of the NBA. And then when social media kind of kicked off, he was late to the game. So I didn't really get a gist of his personality during his playing games, but it became very apparent that he has a very dry sense of humor. Some of the things he was saying in here, it was like you had to wait to beat and it was like, oh, he's making a joke right now, but extremely funny guy. And with a lot of kind of great, deep, insightful things about LeBron, he talks about obviously the Redeem team, just the NBA in general. And he was a blast to talk to and definitely learned a lot. Yeah, some of the things that I found incredibly fascinating, obviously you and I got to see the Gilbert Arenas train wreck story throughout his career. And to hear Richard really elaborate on what Gilbert was like behind the scenes, both good and bad, I thought was incredibly fascinating. And I think people are going to really enjoy listening to. And then just LeBron, man. LeBron's one of the biggest enigmas in sports because no player living today has done a better job curating what their brand is and keeping scandal and bad publicity out. So to get a sense, Matt, of what he's like when he's drunk or is his hairline real, some of the stuff we dug into, I loved it, man. And Richard really talked with no filter. I think people are going to really enjoy this interview. And then the other guy who you always forget about because he is one of the goats, Tim Duncan, Hearing about the friendship with Tim Duncan, I thought was just fascinating because Duncan's one of those guys that he's so quiet and out of the limelight, you forget about him. And Richard really gave us this insight into what he was like both on and off the court. I think people are going to really dig this interview. Yeah, any Tim Duncan content is good content. And I, I agree. He really, you know, pulled back the hairline on LeBron. So I think you guys will really appreciate this episode. So without further ado, here is Richard Jefferson. Now we are thrilled to welcome the Endless Hustle, one of the greatest New Jersey Nets ever, an NBA champion, the host of Road Trip and Podcast and the sports satire publication, The Sports Gap, Richard Jefferson, a.k.a. RJ. How the hell are you? I am outstanding. I, I, the only good thing about doing podcasts and stuff is when you get to hear intros like that, man. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. That's you notice how I admitted the bronze medal thing, you know? No, Credit don't to me. admit it. Don't admit it. Because my thing is that, like, truth be told, in the history of the United States, how many Americans have bronze medal from the USA basketball? Like maybe 30 of us. Yeah. See, like I'm in a very ex in, in, like exclusive group. So I'm proud of it. Super proud and very sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, we're dealing with an eternal optimist here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got to. You got to be in this life. You got to be your own biggest fan. Richard, I got to tell you, you know, you won a championship in 2016 with the Cavs and, you know, winning a title is the top of the mountain for any athlete. But do you ever wake mm -hmm. up and you're like, yeah, this ring is nice, but I also had to spend two years living in Cleveland? No, because you know what is weird? It's just Cleveland, like the energy for us in Cleveland at that time was so good and it was so special that it was like it wasn't that bad. And on top of it, 
when you're playing till June, like normally there were years where Cleveland was bad. So like you would get there in September, you'd be done in April, it was winter the whole time. But we played up until the end of June. So the weather was beautiful. The weather was nice. The team was fun. The Indians went to the World Series. So it was like just the overall buzz in the town was just, it, it was so much fun. Um, yes. Did Cleveland have a bit of a stigma to it? 1,000%. Uh, did I enjoy myself and have fun? And my, my uh, youngest son was born there. So I actually have a lot of fond memories of Cleveland. Not not the answer you were ex- expecting to hear. No, I mean I was going to say it's. You also played in Milwaukee and Utah, so com- that place was a that place was a fucking dump. Milwaukee <laughs> yeah. was awful. That, that, I got nothing positive to say about that experience. Nothing. Do you literally call Giannis at this point, and you're like, "Get the fuck out of Milwaukee and get down to no. Miami, Prano." No, man, because I promise you, man, it's like yo, and I know Jersey is close to New York, but it was like. When I first showed up in Jersey, there was 12 fans in the stands. No one had any expectations. We were supposed to be the last place team in in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, won the conference. I think Giannis can do special things in Milwaukee, and I think it's awesome what he's accomplished thus far. It's like people make it seem like you can't win there. It's like that you can 100% win there. They have an amazing team. They just need to do a better job with that talent. If that exact same team was in Miami, people would just be like, Oh, well, they're underachieving. They're going to be like, where else is he going to go? It's like, no, he's got a great team in Milwaukee. That's a team that drafted him. You have a connection to them and the fan. They just need to do a better job. All right. So I got to ask you the million dollar question. You play with LeBron in 16. How much goes on in the locker room about ripping him with his hair and his hairline? Please tell me it's as bad as we think it is. No, it's really not. Again, I feel like I'm just being a complete contrarian so far in this conversation, which isn't my normal natural. But it was like, yo, everyone crack jokes. Like, how am I going to crack jokes about somebody's hairline when I've been bald since I was like 20 years? Like, what land do I live in? And on top of it, it's like you look at the dude and you're like, I'm glad God did something to at least give you some sort of thing that's not like superhuman. Right. It's like your athleticism, your stamina, your brain, your energy, like your past. Everything is perfect, but your hairline's fucked up. That's cool. Thank that, that. Here's what I don't get. Like I had a hair transplant last December and it's like all grown in. I got a full head of hair. Again. If you're LeBron James, why not just like do pull a Brady and walk in and just go get the fucking Afro back? Is that what Brady did? hundred <laughs> percent. Brady's Mr. Hair. He has like a full head of hair. Guy was losing his hair and all of a sudden he's got like, you know. I, I didn't see you know? I, I didn't see that. Well, I think he might have, but I don't think it for yeah, but you're like you're that. a bald success story. You know, you're like a good looking bald guy. You could be like LeBron. You could be like me if you just let it go. He did. Do you remember he shaved his head that one time? Yeah. He did shave his head. Yeah. And it was like this is what he said. He says, like, man, I shaved it. And I was just kind of whatever. I was on vacation. It started to grow back. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll grow it back. And it's like, eh, yeah. But look, you know what? This is what I think. I, I think like George Jefferson, whatever your hair situation is, as long as you embrace it, yeah. knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Like not everybody's blessed to have a great head of hair like you. I know, dude. That's the only thing, really. You know, I don't have those superhuman yeah. abilities. But hey, I got a good head of hair. That's what I'm saying. Would you trade your hairline for his ability? Absolutely not. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Absolutely not. I popped not. out of the not, womb with this thing. I'm not letting it go that look, easy. Look, what? Just for what? As you sh- yeah, my kids are always like, oh, daddy, why don't you have hair? And I'm like, oh, it's called genetics. You're going to find out about it soon. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Oh, you have a yeah, trust fund. You guys fund are too. fucked. Get ready. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, trust fund. No, 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 no. I read an article recently about spend your money while you right spend your money while you can it's like dude everybody want to wait till 60 and start going on cruises it's like dude spend the money while you got it spend the money while you can actually go to coachella how can you <laughs> possibly spend over what do you make like 120 million in your career how can you possibly spend oh. that? with all the stuff you got going on too a successful podcast come on you can you can spend it people have lost like you can you can spend out know, when you start to kind of like get to my age and I'm not saying I'm super old, but I'm 40 and you start to look at things and you're like 50, 60. OK, well, how do I want to live my life now? It's like my kids are, are fortunate. They're going to be fine. So I just is like I'm going to start living my life a little bit more fun. That doesn't mean like buy cars and do all that stuff. It's just like go on trips, go have some fun, travel when people are able to travel. RJ, I'm actually in New York right now, and we obviously know about the sad state of the Knicks. You literally retired instead of signing with the Knicks. 
when you see them and what they did with Spike Lee and Oak, what are your thoughts? Well, let me say this. It was a joke. I did not retire instead of playing for the Knicks, but it is a great joke. It is a great Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. I, I have said that to my wife so many times. <laughs> I, think, I, I think the Knicks are taking steps in the right direction. I try. There's only so many times that you can make the, you know, the wrong move. There were one draft pick away, and I like R.J. Barrett, but one pick away from getting our getting, getting – I, I think the Knicks are making the right moves. As far as, like, the Spike Lee and stuff, look, when things are going bad, things are going – right? Like, when they're – you know, you get injuries and you get this and you get that. It's like the Golden State Warriors. They, like, think about all of the injuries that those guys dealt with. They had a great ride five, six years. Then all of a sudden they just have a bunch of things go side those guys. But I think the Knicks are going to be fine. I think it's going to take them a couple years. And ultimately, you keep switching around enough management and coaches. At some point in time, something's going to Harassing Spike Lee is the equivalent of the Lakers kicking Jack Nicholson out of the forum or Staples. Like, it's like, it was blasphemy. I couldn't believe it. Oh, 100% it was blasphemous. And, and But ultimately, we always joke, like, the Knicks are going to be the Knicks, right? The Lakers are going to be the Lakers. There's a reason why the Knicks have two championships and the Lakers have 17, right? It's like, you don't need to cater to everybody, but you also have to understand the people that are going to help recruit players, right? Like, you see Jack courtside and you're like, that's going to help them sign a free agent one day. You see Spike Lee sitting courtside, that's going to help or hurt you sign a free agent. And you know, one thing that I'll say, though, they they have to really do it from a management standpoint because of this. You look at Kyrie Irving wanting to go to the Nets. He grew up a Nets fan, right? Like, he grew up in Jersey, grew up a Nets fan. He was watching Jason Kidd and, and Kenyon Martin run up and down. The, ne- the 15 years of Nick basketball hasn't been great, right? It hasn't been high-level basketball. So all the kids that are, you know, 15, 16, 17 – They've never, they don't remember the Patrick Ewing era. They don't, they don't really remember the golden years of the Knicks. Like they're not like pining and and dreaming of playing for the Knicks. So you're not going to get a random guy like Kyrie. That's like, Oh my God, I grew up watching that. Like me, I used to grow up watching Patrick Ewing versus the Bulls and the Knicks where the storied franchise and Walt Frazier and all other stuff. So for me, if I would have got the chance to play for the Knicks, it'd have been like, yo, the kids, you know, they don't remember Muhammad Ali and Frazier playing in the garden. So these kids, they have to actually rebuild their culture to make themselves cool again, right? Like that's part of why they've put brought in the people that they've brought in over the last couple of years. I never thought about it like that. That's a good point. Speaking of cool, I want to talk about your old coach, uh, David Blatt. You know, okay. he helps take you guys to the finals his rookie season as a coach. The next year he's fired right in the middle of the season, best record in the East. A few years later, we see Dwayne Casey takes Toronto to a record-setting season, he gets rewarded with a pink slip. Why is coaching in the NBA such a crapshoot? And why is there sometimes such a disconnect between success and job security? It's, you know, it, it's a lot of times because you can't always change the athlete. Sometimes you change their voice. You know, you change the voice. And you've seen it so many times. George, George Carl has won coach of the year and been fired after having like the second best record or the best record in the, in the conference with the Denver Nuggets. You saw with George Carlisle, he had one coach of the year, I think, in Detroit and then got fired. You, you know, you've seen it with Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson took a team that hadn't really had any success, took him to two postseasons and hasn't been able to get a job set. So you see it in, in our profession, and that's just part of it. Part of it is rhythm. And look, I love Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse is a great coach. But also, he had Kawhi for one year and they had a magical season. But if KD doesn't go down, if, if Clay Thompson doesn't tear his ACL, they're not the champions, right? And, and as, even if you want to give Dwayne Casey, you want to give him, you know, a little bit of heat for not getting past LeBron, no one got past LeBron. That is actually still standing, right? If you were in the same conference with LeBron James in nine of the last 10 years, if you were going against them, you weren't making it to the NBA Finals. So to give Toronto heat or Dwayne Casey heat for not getting past LeBron and the Cavs, I think that – that's just the nature of our business. We understand it. And you know who else understands? Freaking coaches. Coaches understand. You mentioned Muhammad Ali. We had the current version of Muhammad Ali, LeVar Ball, on the show. Holy fuck is that guy a personality. What are your impressions of LeVar Ball? I've had him on my podcast. He is, he is such a dynamic personality. He's funny. He's Look, when you get that much media of attention out of nowhere, you're going to make some missteps. So I don't always look at people and like, oh, well, he shouldn't have said this. He shouldn't have did this. And ESPN won't have him on. And he was, it's like, look, the man got a whole lot of attention. 
very, very quickly, did a thousand interviews and he, and he did some, or he's done some things that he probably would change. Do I think that this man, you know, he raised three boys that are about to, two of them are about to be, you know, top five uh, and rightfully so. And the third one I think is a very good basketball player that if he keeps pushing himself has a chance to make the league. So from that standpoint, the man should be complimented as a father and as an individual. But he definitely is a very dynamic, polarizing figure with some of the things that he says. Um, is it positive once you get into the league? I don't, I don't know. I think only time will tell because, you know, players got to play. You know, dads can be dads and coaches have to coach. Uh, he is definitely, is he entertaining? He's definitely got a level of entertainment to him. Yeah, we realized about halfway through, we're like, this isn't an act. Like, this is actually who no. he is. We were like asking him questions, trying to pull it his heart swings. Like, what's the most romantic thing you've ever done for his wife, your wife? And he was like... I I gave her my babies like and he was legitimately serious about it no he's not he's no he's he's in it and a part of it it's like you know the art imitating life type thing it's like is that who he is i kid you not my first interaction uh it was after a laker game and i was there working i think i was doing the nets and i was like two feet from him never met the man before in my life never met the man for my and i'm looking for i'm not talking to him he's like two two or three feet away and he's talking to somebody and I'm looking at other people or are waiting for someone to come down. And he's having a conversation with this. And, and this per, I think it was a security guard. It was the security guard is like, hey, I'm sorry. I thought you knew that guy, the way he came up to you and, and talked to you. And so I'm kind of overhearing the conversation because we're right next week. And he's like, yeah, the guy's apologizing to LeVar. He's like, yo, I'm sorry. He's like, listen, I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's the queen of England. I don't care who it is. You don't let them come talk to me. Tell them, Richard. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what? what? And I was like, how are you including, I've never met you. How are you including me in a conversation that like, and it was just like, that's just who he is. He's one of those people like you look back in history and it doesn't matter if it's like Deion Sanders, Muhammad Ali, people that just had that energy about them when you put them in front of a mic or in front of a camera, they just turn on and he's one of them. Who's the most batshit crazy player you've ever either met Gilbert or Arenas. played with? Was he really that crazy? I mean, obviously we hear all the press stories. Was it that bad? Oh, it was, it, there's stuff that, that can never be said before. There's, that can never be said about how, for every story you hear, you know, there's 10 that don't even like check the box, right? Mm -hmm. There's 10 that people can't even tell. Gilbert, love him to death. And he's actually calmed down and matured a little bit, but that doesn't even say, uh, but yeah, Gilbert Arenas, he is, again, you want to talk about polarizing and, and eccentric, like that is him. And that is not, I'm not even talking about the guns. I'm not even talking about any of that stuff. Tell us about just, family we just what family weekend yeah. oh you know that story yeah did i tell you, that man. story oh oh my god so uh, so family weekend we're driving in his car all of a sudden he's like hey richard watch this he puts in a dvd and he has a crazy sound system again this was late 90s early 2000 everybody was and um, he starts playing some inappropriate videos at the top of his like the maximum volume that his car will go on and it's a loud, inappropriate video. And it's just tons of people around. And I'm literally trying to recline the seat so no one can see me. He puts, he rolls down the windows and puts the child lock on. So it's just blaring out of his videos and everyone's looking on. Finally, like I rolled up the window and then when he put the child lock on, I reclined the seat. Ladies and gentlemen, you can imagine the type of video he's playing. But this is what he used to do, just driving through camp. Was it a CD or of porn noises or? It was a, D it was a DVD. It was a DVD that he just had in his. Listen, you've had an amazing career. You've been an excellent teammate. You've pretty much played every role that an NBA team ever needed. When you see someone like Gilbert getting whatever he got, it was like a $180 million contract. And you know that the guy is completely batshit crazy. What's the mood of the players in the team when they see that happening, when management's giving someone like that that kind of money? You know what? It's different because as crazy as a personality is, Gilbert is probably top, definitely top 10 but maybe top five hardest working superstars I've ever been around. So it's like, you don't question his work ethic. You don't question, is he going to bring it every night? You don't question, you know, is he going to go and spend four hours in a gym every single night? Cause that's who he is. So from that point, and, and people don't know, the man was a straight up assassin on the, he, like we joke and all like, he's the best player. Like you, you would probably give it to Sean Allen but he's the best player to ever come out of Arizona. And I don't even think that that's a question. Now was his career cut short? Did he not maximize? Does he have some things? But like, let's think of that. 
This is the University of Arizona that has so many All-Americans. You know, final, you know, 50 guys have been drafted. And Gilbert is probably the best one to come out of our And, you know, so it's like when you're giving this type of money, it's not, it's weird because like, is he a good dude? Yes. Did he earn it? Yes. Is he going to bring it? Is he talented? Does he work his tail off? Yes. But is he a goofball and a person that just plays too damn much? Yes. So really, it's just like management. You're just crossing your fingers. You're crossing your fingers that, that you know, he can keep it together. But, you know, you don't question, like, if guys get money. And that's one thing that you try not to do in the league. And I always tell young players, don't ever look at other people's contracts. Yeah. Right? Don't ever look at other people's contracts and other people's money that will get you in more trouble than it will get, let's say, randomly, a guy like Dak Prescott. I don't know what the number was offered. Right? But if he's like, well, this guy gets this. And it's like, dude, this is what they're offering. If they're offering you 30 and you think you should get 35, you know what the alternative is, you know, tearing up your ankle and getting zero. Right. So it's like always just worry about yourself and your money and everything else will take care of it. Speaking of yourself, you know, you made, you know, 17 years and you've never made an all-star team. And I'm a Celtics fan and yeah. through the, and you like those early years, I think they were 04, 05 when you, you see guys like Tyson Chandler, Kyle Korver, Jamal McGlure get these all-star nods. I've seen you play, especially early on, and you definitely deserve that nod. Does, is that a thorn in your side or are you kind of? Uh, you know what? I, I take more credit as I've gotten older. I take more blame on myself. Um, you know, should I have worked harder? Could I have handled things differently? I take blame on Do I think I underachieved from that standpoint and not making an all-star game? A hundred percent. Like, you know, having, like I was on the USA team, but I didn't make an all-star. Um, you know, and there was years. Look, I played with, with two guys that were getting voted in. So Jay Kidd and Vince Carter were both getting voted in, even if they weren't having their best quote unquote statistical seasons. So I could be having my best statistical season and those guys were going to get voted in by the fans or, you know, Jason Kidd's MVP candidate, these guys. That was part of the sacrifice on being on a great team. You know what? I look at guys and this is not to knock any of these individuals, but I look at guys, um, Wally Zerbiak, Devin Harris, Jamal McGlure. These are guys that, that I respect. But these guys had, you know, made an all-star game and this. Would I trade my career and what I've accomplished and where I've been and what I've to, to get two more all-star games in my belt to say I was an all-star? I, I, I wouldn't. But do I blame the system or this and that? It's like, you know what? I'm at an age now where it's like I should have worked harder. I sh and I know this for a fact. This is not me giving some clay. Like there were summer – you know, hey, I put in good work and I had a good summer, but did I look back and say, was that the hardest I could have worked that summer? Did I improve my game the way I should? Uh, in the end, the only thing that it did is it gave me motivation to be more aggressive and more, uh, work harder in my second career and in other opportunities like I do. I'm about to give you the sickest plug for the sports gap, Richard. Yes. You were just talking about Jeffrey Tubin on it. Trending right now on Twitter, the New Yorker just let Jeffrey Tubin go for his masturbation on the Zoom. Literally just announced. Oh, wow. That is a great plug. Well, you know what it is, man? Like, one thing that I've learned in doing this and always, you know, loving sports and loving sports entertainment, I've watched over the last five to ten years, like everyone else has, how has, has really melded is that a word is melded a word yes. melded, melded, yeah. melded past tense think, of mel mel melded matt past yeah with pop culture and entertainment and politics and it was like there's no show out there that's kind of showing the intersection of like sports and pop culture and politics and and just all of the the funny goofy things because of the the jeffrey tubin i was like i don't know there's no connection to him and then all of a sudden there's oj and it's like wait this guy actually does have a connection to, to sports and OJ and telling people like, not only does Jeffrey do, do political talk, he wrote the book on OJ that there was just a movie about and, and OJ had something to say to him. And these are like, that's just one example. Uh, doing the sports gap, there's a lot of stuff that ESPN won't cover. There's a lot of stuff that Fox Sports won't cover. There's a lot of stuff out there that are funny or interesting or go into, you know, this week's episode. And, you know, it's not a political show, but it has like, like points. We talk about how Laura Ings, you know, with the, you know, shut up and dribble, but then shut up and dribble turned into more than an athlete, right? Because LeBron James is like, no, I am more than an athlete. And then it took off. And then it, more than an athlete turned into more than a vote. More than a vote actually um, helped register, you know, 40,000 voters and they work with Stacey Abrams. And now you look at it and there is actually a possibility that more than a vote and more than an athlete helped Georgia, the Georgia race for president. 
right? And so President Trump won it by, I think like, tw- or not President Trump, but uh, Biden won it by 12,000. And St- Stacey Abrams and LeBron James and more than a vote actually helped get a lot of people in to vote. So you're like, wait a second, Laura Ingram telling somebody to shut up and drink actually President Trump uh, re-election. And I just think that there's so many of those sports stories that intersect with everything. In life, and that's what we try and cover on the sport. The craziest shit to me is when you think of Jeffrey Tubin, here's a guy, acclaimed author, one of the brightest writers probably of our generation. Meanwhile, he's on a Zoom and he's masturbating. I mean, it's it like blows your mind. Who's a teammate that yeah. you might have had that on paper was perfect, but behind the scenes was fucking, not Gilbert Arenas, but was just like the person you never would have imagined. Me? <laughs> that was 100% me. Not When I talk about me, I'm not referencing masturbating on a Zoom. But if I had one teammate, because I didn't join social media. I wasn't big on social media. Uh, I'd started in New York. And so you learn kind of the very Derek Jeter, like don't give them any sound bites, just be very cut and dry. And even you can, I used to have fun. But if I had a dollar for every new teammate that I would meet and they'd be like, I would have never guessed you were like this. I would have never guessed that you were like a sarcastic asshole or whatever. Uh, if there's somebody outside of myself, not trying to be narcissistic, I think Tim Duncan is up there because he is one of the funniest, most sarcastic individuals I've ever been around in my entire life. I annoy him. I text him and he replies like one out of eight times, but I still text him like funny stuff that I, and I like annoying him. And I like that he probably gets annoyed by me. Um, He's one of those guys that if you talk to him about basketball, he could give, you know, he doesn't care about that. But you ask him about cars, you ask him about comic books, you ask him about like, you know, movies or any of that stuff, the man won't. And uh, I think that's something that when he came on my podcast, that was, I'll never forget a spurt uh, tweeted like, oh my God, Tim Duncan is on road tripping. This is not a drill. Because he just doesn't talk to media. He doesn't do much. And so I, w- I felt so, I-, I felt very, very fortunate that he sat down and kind of opened up and relaxed and had fun with us for a little bit. The funniest shit about Tim Duncan is the guy's a kickboxer. He's like incredible with oh, yeah. MMA. And it's like mind blowing to think about that seven foot one gargantuan dude kicking people in the ribs. Any of, you don't want any of that size 19, like side swiping your leg. Like you don't, you just don't want that. Uh, no, that's what's cool, man, is that there's so many guys have other interests and if you engage them on their other interests that's when you see their personality if you want to just ask them like Kyrie's one of those guys you want to ask Kyrie about basketball and crossovers and all that stuff he's like yeah but if you want to ask him about something that is he's passionate about you'll see a completely different personality you'll see more of who he is than if you ever just try and ask him basketball questions you grew up in in South Central LA you said your dad had a had a substance abuse problem and you still managed to have a two decade long career in a league where the average is a quarter of that. I know you said when you entered entered the league, you did your fair share of partying, but what sacrifices did you make or habits did you kick in order to have such a long career? I'm going to be really honest. You know, one, you know, even though my, my dad was a big time, you know, my mom and step uh, who recently passed away, they were married for 33 years. They didn't drink, they didn't smoke, they didn't kill. I still had a very, very good, solid, like family upbringing, even with them. But I will say this, that that's one of the areas that, you know, when I take blame for not making an all-star, you know, I I think that not necessarily during the season, because I think we were, it was pre-social media. So as long as you weren't going out the night before games, you can go out and have all the fun that, um, but I think just, you know, during the summer, that's where I wish I would uh, harder and put in more time. I was still a part of the old NBA where like guys would just get away from basketball and then come back and get themselves in shape via training camp. And that kind of changed like the late nineties, early 2000. Then it turned into that you're in shape 24 seven, right? Like right after the season to, to say what habits that I kicked to have a 17 year. I, I stand by this man. Like God is the only one that can give you those type of opportunities. I did absolutely nothing to wake up and be six foot seven to be 235 pounds and have a 40 inch vertical. I did none of that. Right. I did none of that. Um, I was just blessed and I was just fortunate and I probably didn't kick enough. Probably. I didn't probably do enough of the, what should I like cut out in order to have a great, you know, everybody can overachieve underachieve. Imagine if Dennis Rodman or, or Charles Barkley were, were closer to Michael Jordan with their type of focus and not like the quote unquote partying or this and that, like Dennis Rodman might 
you know, have been even greater. Like you don't know. And, you know, I'm not going to sit up here and say that I like actually like kicked a ton. I'm actually surprised I lasted as long as I did. You obviously got to see LeBron's greatness up close. I grew up during the Jordan era and I will go to my grave saying that there's no one better. I played high school and college basketball. I understand basketball. MJ is the greatest of all time, in my opinion. If LeBron won 10 rings, MJ is still the greatest of all time. Having seen LeBron- well, that's what if you if you say if you say that you're kind of actually disrespecting your basketball IQ because then it becomes not a, it's not a statement it's just you, you're talking about like your favorite player of all time not the great no here's the argument I'll make is that I think the era that Jordan played in with the physicality and the defense and the hand checking was much harder. It was. I think LeBron is the second greatest player, and I played in high school with Kobe, and I saw that up yeah. close. LeBron is the second greatest player of all time. But having seen him up close and now with the last stance, people actually getting to see MJ and really how great he was, who is better, MJ or LeBron? I think you're, the argument that you make is perfect. It's, it, the argument that you make is the correct one. Is you know, trying to compare air. I think Jordan and his championships, that can't be denied. Who was more dominant over there? Uh, I think they have the equal amount of dominance. As like again, we don't want to credit Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, Will Chamberlain, or Bill Russell. Like, what stat does Michael Jordan have over Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? None. No one has none. That. Exactly. That, that's what I'm saying. So it, it becomes like we 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 talk about in the sports gap. Goat goat means not greatest of all time. It means greatest opinion. You know? Like that's what it is. It's like your greatest opinion of all time. Like that's what it really what it should stand for. But look, Michael Jordan. I don't care what you say, but like let's put this in perspective. Like one stat. Like let's say Braun. For instance, Braun passed Michael Jordan three seasons ago in playoff scoring. Right now he's got like 1500 more points than Michael Jordan. And this is not a comparison to him, to Michael Jordan. This is this comparison. If you're now going to pass LeBron James and playoff scoring, what would you have to do? Give me a kid that comes five years from now. That's going to be the next team. What would he have to do to pass LeBron James and playoff score? That kid doesn't exist right now. I mean, what LeBron has done historically and numerically may never be touched. I mean, it's, He's an anomaly of anomalies. Yeah, exactly. So LeBron, LeBron has, I don't know, 8,000 playoff points. Michael Jordan, I'm paraphrasing, Michael Jordan might have 6,500. So basically you're telling me that the next kid that comes in is going to have to go to like 13 NBA finals and average 30 points a game to pass LeBron James. That's how many playoff games he's going to have to play. Because we're not talking about old playoff games. We're talking about like, no. Michael Jordan went to six finals, played in playoffs so many years. Braun has been to 10 finals, been to the playoffs every year, but like two or three. And so you got to average 30 over that many games and winning championships and getting to the finals because that's the only way to get that many. So whoever comes in that's going to try and break LeBron James' playoff scoring record is going to have to go to like 13 NBA finals and average 30 points a game over that period of time. Like I think that's the most unbreakable record in sports. I, I truly believe that. And we're, let's take Wilt Chamberlain's 100 points off. I just don't see that there's going to be an athlete that can come even close to touching that because the longevity is unheard. So here's the million-dollar question. You're game seven. Okay. You're in the game. You got one person you've got to pick for that game seven to win you the championship. Are you picking Braun or are you picking MJ? I'm picking Braun in the game and MJ for the shot. I'm such a dick. I know. Right? That's a great fucking I'm picking MJ for the That's shot. A great I'm picking answer. MJ for the shot and I'm taking Braun because ultimately I know that, you know, Braun and the way he, he is and the way he interacts and the way he assists and has fingerprints all over the game. Look, you know, I, I, I stand by it. MJ for the shot and Braun for, for the game because I just, I saw him, you know, we talk about MJ and all this stuff. Like Braun led both teams in points, scoring, rebounds, assists blocks fucking any other category that you can think of like think about that you lead the entire like playoffs of both teams in every statistical category that means that there wasn't one player on the other team that had more blocks than him there wasn't one player on the other team that had more steals or like nothing like that's a level of dominance it's just it's just like there is no greatest of all time like michael jordan but then you can talk about kareem or you can talk about wilt or you can talk about braun or kobe there is no greatest of all time. That that's my that's my real answer. Michael Jordan is 
MJ. I grew up in that era. I watched Braun. I watched Kobe. I know Kareem's numbers. I personally think Magic Johnson is the greatest Laker of all time. And statistically, everything proves that, right? He's got the same amount of championships. He actually changed the game and helped the NBA become what it is today. And this is no disrespect to the late, great Kobe Bryant. And even Magic Johnson being the ultimate businessman is always like Kobe is the greatest Laker, right? I, and I understand that. But I just think statistically, you look at the impact that he had on the game, him and Larry ushering into the league into a new era a six nine point guard like the, the world had never seen it we still really haven't seen lebron might be the closest but i you know you look at that and i just think magic johnson has it has a case for being you know top one or two of all time i know we joked about it earlier but 2004 athens bronze medal obviously in the olympics you may have you know may as well maimed a bald eagle there what did you do with your medals first of all and do you guys ever like commiserate on that at all no, we joke a little bit. Like D.D. Wade said he was going to do an article or he was going to do a documentary on the Redeem. And I kind of put an emoji out there just like, oh, geez. And he was like, what, is there a problem? And I was like, well, yeah, shit, dude. We can't talk about the Redeem team without talking about <laughs> us getting smashed right before. No, you know what it was, man. And I think ultimately what they did is they learned a lot. There was a level of arrogance that went not only with our country and like the way we handled USA Basketball, but it was like, Look, the qualifying before, and I've told this story a million times, the U.S. Olympic team qualifier in Puerto Rico, it's Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Jason Kidd, Ray Allen, Carl Malone, Jermaine O'Neal, Kenyon Martin. I don't even know if I said Jason Kidd, Mike Bibby, all of these guys on the team. We crushed through the qualifier. We play Argentina. We beat Argentina by well, – we were up 40 at halftime. The very next year is the year you go to the Olympics. Nine of those guys say no. Nine of those guys say they're not going, right? So immediately you lose, you lose continuity, you lose chemistry, you lose everything. So nine of those guys decide not to go. So then they're constantly trying to find more guys, and then they feel the youngest team they've ever put together. Let's take names away from Carmelo, LeBron, D-Wade, Amari. Let's take the names off the These guys were 19 years old, 20 years old. And now we go and we struggle through it because it was like, literally, I'm meeting these guys for the first time. It's like, hey, Bron, nice to meet you. I'm Richard. Hey, Amari, nice to meet you. I'm Richard. We're doing that a month before the Olympics. That's just ignorant, mm -hmm. right? You should never have a situation like that. And so what they ultimately did after we lost is they created the U.S. select team. So now the U.S. select team is you get the best 20 young players and then you have them train with the quote-unquote Olympic team. So at least everybody's learning a system over multiple years. They're learning each other. They're getting to know each other. They're getting to know the coaches. They're getting to know – that is what came from that year because I think USA Basketball realized that they dropped the ball. They can't just knock on the doors of the top 15 NBA players and say, hey, it's time to go do the Olympics and win the gold because these guys started saying no. They were like, no, nah, I'm – and uh, as much as it was a bad experience, we were a part of the group that helped change the format, right? We were a part of the group and, you know, it was going to happen. And I'm going to break it to everybody again. The U.S. will lose another gold medal at some point in time, uh, probably in the next probably four to five Olympics, just because the world is getting too good at basketball. Who wins? Dream team versus redeem team. Who takes that game? Oh, not even, not even close. Not even close. Not even close. Not like not like not even close. And I'm not even, it's not even close. Oh, this you're saying not, the dream team. You broke not it here first. Not, not, the, the dream team is the greatest team ever assembled in any sport. It's like literally if baseball could go back and put Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Yogi Berra, Mike Trout, King Griffey Jr. with Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens. And it's like, that's what the equivalent of the dream team was. Like, it was like the golden era of basketball with some of the greatest players and playing modern day basketball. Like, obviously, Bill Russell and these guys were like old, like style of basketball, Bob Cousy. But like, these guys are more modern day basketball players. And so, it, you know, Chris Mullen, you have, you know, MJ, Magic, Larry, you know, David Robinson, you know, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, that's that level of talent and MVPs and all, like, it's not even close. I want to ask you a two part question. And it's about entering middle age, because I'm 42. And all these guys and girls who are on this zoom who know me will tell you how much I bitch about getting old. Part number one okay. is, 
you were obviously a leaper. You were a high flyer. When was the moment where you realized the hops were gone and you were just average? Oh, well, that's tough. That's tough because it, for me, it was the stamina that went. It was the stamina that went. Like I was still dunking fairly regularly, even at the end of my career. But it was more of like, could you run for 40 minutes and then do a windmill in the fourth quarter? You could do that at 22. You could do that at 25. Then at 28, you're like, ah, I'm just going to go dunk this. Then at 33, you're like, I'm only doing windmills and warmups now. Then at 35, you're just like, oh, I can still dunk, but I can't sprint as fast as I can and then go do a 360. So the hops were like slowly dwindling, but it was the stamina that got affected more than the actual hops. Like I can, like I'm 40 and I can still, you know, dunk a little bit, but I, I, people always ask me, do I miss basketball? And I'm no, I don't miss playing basketball. You know what I miss? I miss being 25 and playing basketball and averaging 22 points a game and doing dunks all over the place. Do I miss averaging six points a game at 35 years old and just trying to like struggle to keep it together? No, that shit wasn't fun. Part two of the question is, I noticed you have a baby seat behind you. How fucking crazy. Two of these mother. How how fucking crazy is it to think when you look back on young Richard Jefferson, you're driving around with baby seats right now. Yeah, you know what? And I was fortunate where I didn't have kids until I was 35. I had my my old one. So I had them at the end of all my fun and all my time. It is crazy, but you know what it is? I named my son Richard. And so uh, I get to now live vicariously through. Uh, so that's the fun part of, of having two little boys that actually love sports. Like there's boys and there's boy boys. Like I have boy boys where only thing they think is funny is farts all they want to do is play basketball and punch each other and hit each other with bats. And so it's like, as much as you're playing the referee, it's still so fun to just see like that, like level of just like child testosterone pumping through them, like trying to do push-ups with dad and abs. And so it is crazy having, you know, child seats in the back. But then when you got your two little munchkins and you see that, like, like daddy, daddy, can we watch some basketball? You're like, God, I love you so much. Richard Jefferson, the second NBA all-star, what, 2040? Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, I, but at this point in time in my life, I, all I wish for my kids to be are law-abiding citizens. <laughs> if my son decides to be a school teacher and marry his childhood sweetheart, and we just see each other on Thanksgiving and Christmas, cool. Like That's you know, the whole life. oh, he's got to play basketball and all that other stuff. Yeah, yeah no, I'm probably going to do more detriment to him <laughs> than than being positive as far as that uh, is concerned. So you know, whatever my kids want to do, like that, I, I support. RJ, you were you were teammates with LeBron, who claims to drink wine basically every day. Can you describe how LeBron James's personality changed when he's riding a wine drunk? No, his personality doesn't change because he's always got the same personality. Uh, and like, this is a man that has a lot on his shoulders. And even though he is a younger player than me, like he still has always this kind of like big brother feel to him. Like, I'm not into all the the arrogance and all the stuff, but like the dude, look, he was chosen. I don't know by who, by God or whatever, but the man, you know, and this is not me, you know, stroking him. It's not, but it's like the man came from nothing came from a very, very, a worse situation than I grew up in. And my, my situation wasn't beautiful. And this individual didn't go to college, but he's still one of the smartest people I've ever been around, knows how to put people around him, knows how to ask questions. Like, that's one thing. This man will be on the bus. Like, hey, how do you spell this? No, there's like no pride to like him. And he just, he wants what's best for people. He wants what's best for people around him. But like when it comes to like drinking wine, I think it's more of like, I remember I'll give you one story. He kind of had a moment. He's an emotional guy. We all know that as his teammates, like we've seen the videos and the memes, like he gets them and he had been grumpy for like a day. And he was like, Hey, texting guy. Hey guys, I'm going to be at this, this restaurant that was kind of like loud music. So we went someplace else, me and Channing Fry and I think somebody else said, well, let's go meet up with Bron, even though he's being, you know, grumpy. and we meet up and he was full on like frat boy, like guys, I'm sorry. Guys, I'm sorry. I know I was grumpy, man. I owe you guys one. We're just like, dude, you're fine, man. You're fine. But it was just, it was just funny, man, because I, I think his personality always stays the same. Uh, you know, he's an emotional guy, and every once in a while, he'll get that that emotional, that one glass past the normal, yeah. and he just gets a little emotional and just like, guys, I'm sorry. I was grumpy, man. That was my bad, man. I'm sorry. I'm like, dude, you're fine. The greatest physical specimen maybe the world has ever seen can get vulnerable like that, you know, just like average Yeah, guy. he was. He was. 
Cause he knows, he knows, like even in meetings, like we've talked about this, like team meetings and they've said it before. He's like, you know, trying to control his body language or just emotions. <laughs> I remember one time he's like, look guys, I try it. It's been an issue my whole life. I'm trying to still work at it, but like sometimes in the real moment when things get happen, I can't help it. Like, I'm sorry. Just know that it's not intentional. It's not person. That's just who I am. And I'm still trying to get better. And so like when like, and you see it cause it's real. Like people talk about the J.R. Smith situation where he's like, that's just real emotion. That's just real high level emotion. Like that's not, he didn't like hate him. They're still boys. They're still that. But in that emotion, like you just see it all over his face. And that was everybody. everybody. But it's like, you know, you're like, oh, bronze being emotional. It's like, no, that's just people as human beings. Uh, that part is kind of funny. And it, I, I think it's something that actually humanizes him a little. Uh, and I think it's a positive. Sports is such a crazy business. And there's a great story about you finding out that you were traded from the Nets while signing autographs. Yeah. What goes through your head when that moment happens? It goes through my head that sports is a business, that sports is a business. And, um, in the digital age and in social media age, I think people are seeing it more now. You see guys like, um, you know, uh, DeMar DeRozan. You see guys um, are dealing with trade rumors more and dealing with other just issues. Um, and, you know, even Paul George talking about not necessarily his mental health, but just kind of like being in the bubble and how that affected his personality. And I don't want to say depression, but just how it affected him. You know, when I got traded from from the Nets, it was tough for me. Like, I was a person that wanted to retire there. I didn't really get along well with our head coach, Lauren. Um, I think that ultimately what led to the trade. But, you know, it wasn't like I saw Lawrence Frank. I like I saw him walking down. We both live in L.A. I saw him walking down the street the other day. I stopped, pulled over the car and talked to him for like five, ten minutes just about because he works, obviously, with the Clippers and stuff. So there's no animosity there. But in that moment, man, I'm a 26-year-old guy that came off my best statistical season you broke up our entire team trading away Vince Carter and now you're trading away me. And it was just, you know, there's emotions to that. Part of the reason why I like broadcasting, part of the reason why I like, you know, doing these things is I feel like I can talk to the next generation, maybe help another player. I remember pulling DeMar DeRozan aside and say, Hey, look, I know there, you were in Toronto. You were the guy there. You helped build with there. I had the same thing in Jersey. And then you come to San Antonio and there's a bit of a culture shock. Just stay with it. Just stay positive. Stay in your – and these are the things that you try and – whether it works out or not, I think having individuals around the league that can give information to younger players and to other players about your experiences, I think that only helps the game and it helps the player. Uh, I think it's positive. How much does it fuck you up when you are engaged in trade talks with a team? How much does it fuck you up when you're part of that conversation and you have no idea – if you're going to have to uproot your whole life in five minutes. I think the first time it's tough. Like for like DeMar DeRozan and stuff like that. The first time it's tough. After that, you kind of get used to it. It's never easy. It's always going to be hard. That's part, you know, that's part of it. But it's like you grow up watching basketball. So like if you were a real basketball fan at 15 or 16, you probably saw one of your favorite players get traded. I remember when Jason Kidd got traded to the Phoenix Suns and how upset people in Phoenix were that they were losing Michael Finley. I was like, do you guys know how good Jason Kidd is? And I was like, and then fast forward a few years, I'm playing with Jason Kidd and I have that exact same. Um, I think it's like the one thing that I don't like about the social media age is you people and it just is what it is. And so to complain about it does nothing, but to hear guys talk about it and like rumors and all this other stuff, it's like these kids, these individuals have wives, they have families, they have kids, they're connected to communities. So when they have like one thing that I can't stand is when they have the little like trade makeup thing that they have on like websites now. It's like, hey, make up a trade. It's like, yo, these are these are human beings that have families. Don't be like, hey, I put in the trade tracker and we can trade Chris Paul and this person and we're gonna have to throw any dude, these are not commodities. These are human beings. And when they start doing reckless trade rumors and stuff, you have to understand that that can affect a kid. Imagine if you're a 13 year old kid and all of a sudden you're like, am I going to have to move again? Like that can weigh on a, on a teenager that like, I'm going to have to move again. I'm going to, they talk about military families and how they have to travel around. It's very similar in the NBA. And even if you're making money, even if you're not, that doesn't change the fact that there's an emotional reaction to some of these things. So I think we should be a little bit more cautious and less reckless with it. But I also know that that's not going to happen. Yeah, it truly is the Wild West in the media world. Yeah. There's no repercussions here. Mm-mm. No, no re- re- repercussions. That's just the way we live in. So we just have to learn how to, to navigate that best. We can. You mentioned mental health. Kevin Love recently has been talking a great deal about 
what he's had to deal with in terms of battling anxiety and depression. Obviously, when you're a professional athlete, you're a gladiator. Is it hard for an athlete when they open up like that? Do teammates look at you differently when you do let people in into those struggles? Um, No, if they're your real brothers, they don't. And, you know, I consider Kevin a, a real brother of mine. And so I try and fully support him in this. And I think it's great he might be speaking up like maybe he his moment got to a seven or an eight but all of us have experienced the five right all of us have experienced the five like recently like you know my my father passed away a couple of months ago there's been covid he was dealing with cancer then lute olson uh, uh, my, my college coach passed away like two weeks later that's a that's a bad time to be right now imagine if you were trying to play games or imagine if you had an injury imagine if you were in the middle of the postseason and you were sh- like, these are a lot of things that, like, can really weigh on somebody. And, you know, even the – I think it's a negative perception that money and fame precludes you from being actually depressed. Like, there's just too many examples. Like, people – well, if I made that money, I'd be happy. It's like, yes, money can take away certain stresses, but it also can bring other stresses. And so, to have guys like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and these guys speak out, even Paul George speak out, things have affected them. That I think that's a positive – but I don't think that it carries over into the court and how I view somebody as a leader or as a gladiator, or as a warrior. We've all been through. That's what they say. They say money can't make you happy, but not having money can make you very unhappy. And I think that's just. Kind of, oh, you know. that, I've been on both sides of it. And trust, that's why there's so many people that, that have money that are miserable, yeah. right? There are, man. And, and there's a lot of people that don't have money that are miserable. So I, I think to make money the part of the conversation, it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. I think money needs to be taken out. Obviously, we're intelligent enough that that will never be the case. But ultimately, I think that that's a silly portion of the conversation about mental health is like how much money you... Before I forget this, Gilbert Arenas, I think it was last year, he called, he jokingly called you a douchebag on ESPN like four times to the point where Rachel Nichols... He wasn't joking. Had to, he, he wasn't, wasn't joking. <laughs> Rachel Nichols had joking. to grab him like a child. Can, can you uh, just recall that moment? And when something like that happens on a big network... Are producers like, you know, pumping their fists because they know it's going to go viral? Or are they like, yo, you need to chill? So I just did the jump yesterday and we were talking, um, some of the producers and Rachel and I, we were talking about afterward. Gosh, we love Gilbert. Gilbert's so nice, but he just, you always got to worry. You always got to worry a little bit. And like, just to give you an example of Gilbert. So Gilbert, they knew we were both going to be on. And so Gilbert comes on. And when I say this legitimately, Gilbert set with the producer trying to figure out all the words he could and couldn't say. So it was like, he just walked in there. I was like, okay, I just need to know the 10 words that I can't say and the 10 words that I can. And they gave him a list. As long as you don't say any of these words, you're fine. Douchebag wasn't one of them. And so he decided to say that. So I was like, Channing, uh, Gilbert, you can't say that. And he's, he's like, no, yeah, I can. I checked. And you're just like, that's who he is. And so Look, I've known Gilbert since he was 15. We were playing against each other in like AAU tournaments at the pump camp out here in LA back in the day. And anybody that knows the pump brothers, you know, they were a big, big force in in, in the AAU circuit. So I knew him then, helped recruit him kind of to Arizona, then played against him in the NBA. So here we are now, you know, he's in his late thirties. I'm in, you know, I just turned. So it was like all of his shtick I've been watching now for 25 years. So it's, it, it, nothing will ever surprise me that comes across, you know, Gilbert's brain or, or comes out of his mouth. I have one more question for you, RJ, and then Matt's going to get you out on the hustle round. My question to you is, I can't remember a guy who has had more power in information in media than Woj. Give me a great Woj story. Like, how the fuck did this guy create this type of thing? You know what's so funny is that I didn't know that Woj was, I forget who he worked for. It was either Philly or in Jersey, but he was like one of those guys. And, and kind of when I first got drafted, he was in that school. Like he wrote an article about me, like on the draft day, we were kind of talking. Woj is, it, it's a, he's a, it's a gift. I joke with people and I say like, the, if he wasn't covering basketball, he would be the top reporter for CNN or he would be the top reporter for Fox News or MSNBC or, or ABC. He would be the top reporter because he just has the, he knows how to get the scoops and who to talk to and how to talk to greasing the wheels and all that other stuff like Woj is a takes himself very seriously in a positive right and so do I have any good Woj stories not not really I don't because we don't really interact that much we've been around each other but 
I'm still relatively new in the space. So it's only been like a couple of years that I've actually really been around them. Other than that, you were just hoping that your name didn't pop up on his bomb list during the trade deadline. <laughs> He's the only person that players follow because they just want to see like, am I going somewhere? Let me check and see if Woe just said. All right, RJ, we're going to get you out of here on the hustle round. What the, how this is going to work is I'm going to give you a series of two options and you have to give me the one you prefer. You cannot take longer than three seconds to answer for each or you have to give us your bronze medal. All right, Cheetos or Doritos? Doritos. Beer or wine? Steam room or sauna? Steam. Lake or ocean? Ocean. Funny or teammate? J.R. Smith or Gilbert Arenas? <laughs> J.R. Smith. Um, Gilbert get me in trouble. Better basketball movie, White Man Can't Jump or He Got Game? White Man Can't. Better basketball documentary, Last Dance or Hoop Dreams? Last Dance. Ranch or blue cheese? Ah, uh, ranch. Honey. Better fast food, Wendy's or Chick-fil-A? Wendy's? What? Uh I, you know what it is? I did, let me rephrase it. I've had Wendy's a thousand more times than Chick-fil-A, but Chick-fil-A is probably better. You're missing out, would, dude. You get plenty of money to spend on Chick-fil-A. Better Los yeah. Angeles-born artist, Snoop Dogg or Leonardo DiCaprio? He was a cult, part of the culture chain. When you do culture, when you change the culture, like, yeah, like, Leo's got the Oscars, but, like, Snoop ushered in a new genre and was a part of a culture move. In the hustle round, you can't go beyond the, the answer. So just so, I, I so you know for th these three more, funner place to party, New York or Miami? New York. Better young player, Luka Doncic or Jason Tatum? Luke. Big Spoon or Little Spoon? Ooh, little. Richard Jefferson, you are the man. Thank you for joining the Endless Hustle. <laughs> so nice talking to you. So gracious. Hey. Where can we listen and tune into the sports gap? Sports Gap, go on YouTube or my social media. Follow us on all of the necessary Instagram, Twitter. It's at the Sports Gap. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thanks so much, man. You were awesome. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, folks. That was the one and only former high flyer who still says he can high fly, Mr. Richard Jefferson. I don't know about you, Matt. If I'm a TV executive and I hear the shit that he's talking about with Gilbert Arenas, I'm giving Gilbert Arenas his own show right now. This guy just sounds like an absolute maniac. Like, think about Gronk, who is like manufactured himself as this brand of maniac energy. I think Gilbert Arenas is that dude without even trying. So fuck it. Give him a show. I'm all about Gilbert Arenas getting his own show on TNT. TNT, if you're listening, I'm executive producing it. Yeah, well, Gilbert, he needs to have Richard come on because he needs to be the voice of reason. Because if you remember what they were saying when he was on first take is that they gave him a list of things he couldn't say and he ended up saying douchebag. So there needs he needs to be anchored somewhere. And I think Richard is that guy to kind of bring him back into the abyss so he doesn't get, you know, canceled. The best part is I literally am asking him, who is the craziest player? And before I even finish the question, he's already spitting out Gilbert Arenas. And you're just like, man, what this guy must have been like behind the scenes. But look, Richard, this is a, there's a reason why Richard is as successful post-career as he is. He's got a sparkling personality, great-looking guy, million-dollar smile. And, you know, we saw it firsthand. The guy sitting in his car for an hour with his seatbelt on and giving just unfiltered stories and opinions, there's no doubt in my mind that in 10, 20 years, Richard Jefferson is one of the biggest and most popular broadcasters in all of sports. Wow, sounds like Arthur's got a little crush on Richard Jefferson there. It's Man Crush Monday, although it's <laughs> Thursday for Richard Jefferson. But also, hey, good guy to have as a friend of the show. I'll take it. Yeah, one of the things that I found really kind of fascinating was when, you know, we asked him, he's played 17 years, he's, you know, been on the Olympic team, he's an NBA champion, and we asked him if he's salty about never making a all-star team, even though in 2004, he averaged 23 points a game on a very good Nets team. And I thought he was going to, you know, kind of sharpen up his swords and fight his case. And, you know, he just gave us the, you know, I could have worked harder in the offseason. I mean, you don't really get that from players, especially like, who, you know, are retired and tend to have revisionist history on their career. But just that was really refreshing when to be like, hey, yeah, you know, guys nowadays work 12 months out of the year. And he was like, yeah, took a couple months off, just chilled. I didn't do what I could have to be an NBA all-star. And that accountability and that ownership, you just don't see nowadays. And I thought that was really endearing. And I'm a big Richard Jefferson fan now. 
Yeah, and I think one of the greatest things about this podcast as we talk to these people, Matt, is hearing their insight as they look back is fascinating. Like, I know we have an upcoming interview that I can't wait for people to hear with Ike Taylor from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And these guys, you know, when they finish their career, them seeing themselves kind of as knuckleheads and understanding the mistakes that they made and the immaturity, anytime you hear it from guys who were able to be in the league for a decade plus, like a Richard Jefferson or an Ike Taylor or whoever, it's incredible when you're able to reflect back and understand the mistakes you made and then pass it forward to the younger players. I always love hearing the accountability that comes with that. Absolutely. All right. We hope you enjoyed that episode. Stick with us and subscribe. You can follow us on Twitter at Endless Double Underscore Hustle and Instagram at Endless Hustle Pod. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate it. We need all of your support. If we want to keep getting these guests and getting these interviews, you can reach me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mr. Cohan. Cohan spelled K-E-O-H-A-N. And on Twitter, I'm at ArthurCade. And on Instagram, at It's Me, ArthurCade. We are back next Tuesday with another incredible guest. Stay tuned. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great weekend. Peace.